1: The doctor is in.
0: Okay, we're going to be starting our first in almost 10 years. I actually have never done a Facebook Live until um, maybe about eight months ago, and that's when I started doing the radio show, when I started doing the live radio broadcast. So this is going to be the first time that we are doing a live Facebook that is not the radio show outside of the IADFW, so kind of uh, interesting what we're about to do, and uh, let's see how this all works out, hi Kimberly, how are you, let's see, let me just make sure this is all working right, all right, And I'm gonna go live on Instagram. Okay, so this is, as I mentioned, the first time that we are doing a live um, stream that is not the radio show on Facebook as far as to the public. Now, IADFW, I do that once a week, but uh, as of about two weeks ago, I announced that I was not gonna be doing the radio show anymore after almost 10 years. And I think it was just time for a little change of pace, although I liked doing the radio. And we may go back to it, I don't know. Uh, Robert and I have done this for a long time. And um, I was just getting a lot of questions that people were asking me specifically, as opposed to covering items that were of interest potentially to people that were listening regarding what was being published in the recent media, um, you know, new recent studies. In healthcare, et cetera, et cetera. So that was the reason that I decided to go ahead and break away from this radio aspect and uh, start doing our own broadcast, just to you know answer the questions as people found that to be more beneficial for what their particular interests were, as opposed to commentary on recent studies. <clears throat> so I've had a couple of people ask me why I stopped and uh robert's fantastic he's, a, he's an awesome guy he's uh, been a good friend for two decades and uh, as i said we may go back to the radio in the future but uh, at this juncture i just felt like it was time for a change and uh the plan is going to be that we will answer questions on we're going to answer questions uh, that are posted at askdrbutar.com so essentially this site, asdoctar.com, was something that we had created years ago. and we only did it we only had it up for a short period of time where we were going to do a webinar each week to answer questions and we figured that we would create um, this method where people could ask questions. And so we made the site go live and I think that we had like 600 questions that were posted in the first two weeks or something. So we did it only once or twice, and then we, didn't, we kind of went away with it with the radio and everything else, it was just not enough time. So I'm going to try to focus in on those questions. So in the future, if anybody has any questions, submit them to askdrbutar.com. Go to askdrbutar.com, www.askdrbuttar.com. And right there in the front, it'll kind of explain just this, this a little bit, but you'll see a form that's filled out. And I think it gives you like 11 categories on the form whether it's political or spiritual or you know cancer related, whatever the topics are. Um, I think I'm gonna end up having three more topics added, but if you think that we need to have different categories of topics, you know, go ahead and submit that too if you think there should be some other categories. And um, I'm going to try to answer three to four questions every week. We'll also have a category set up in there for IADFW so that if there's specific questions that IADFW members have that I may not answer on the regular broadcast, It'll only be for the IADFW component. So you just indicate if you're an IADFW member or not. Of course, I'm sure some people would maybe indicate there are an IADFW member and not, but that's okay because if the question's a good question, we'll still address it during the uh, live broadcast for IADFW. And the plan is that from 8 p.m. Eastern till about 9 p.m. Eastern, we will do the regular broadcast. And then from 9 p.m. or you know 5 minutes, 10 minutes after 9, take a couple of minutes, 5, 10-minute break, And then we'll do the IADFW, and that will go for an hour to an hour and a half, two hours. We've done them sometimes, you know, an hour and 45 minutes, two hours. We've done that a couple times. So anyway, that's the general plan. If anybody has any questions about that, you know, just send them to Facebook, and um, whoever's monitoring Facebook for me will get those questions to me. Um, We have quite a few questions that have been already submitted, and I didn't really even announce that very efficiently about the AskDrBittar.com. But you guys can pass that on to anybody else. And then those questions, the ones that are, depending on how the videos come out or how the broadcast comes out, it'll all be recorded. And then one of my other, as my youngest son used to call them, daddy's helpers, right? Like Santa's helpers. So I have another helper, one of my staff members, Nabil, and he will go ahead and edit those questions down so they're a 5, 10, 15-minute-long segment that is self-supporting, uh, self-sustaining. It'll be you know just one isolated question-answer type thing that will be posted on YouTube, and so that will be how our content on YouTube will continue to increase because everything that is answered will not be just gone through the live broadcast. We will edit them down and then put them on YouTube so that they're there for other people to refer back to in the future. All right, so without any further ado. Um, the I'm, I'm really looking forward to the IEDFW broadcast tonight. So if you're already an IED, IEDFW member, definitely tonight is an important night because we actually launched the Map to Get Ahead programs and um, the coaching consultations. We started that uh, four days ago. We did the first one, and then I did a second one yesterday. And I think, let's see, I'm not 100% sure, but I think, um, let me see if any of those people are already on. Oh, Tiffany is, so we have one person, and then I don't see the other person on here, but maybe she'll be on. Anyway, it was it was really, um, it was a culmination of eight months of preparation and, and work and, you know, visualizing where this was going to go, and it finally culminated. Four days ago, we did the first one, and uh, Tiffany was the first one, and then the second one, and again, this was just something that... I'm just doing a few consultations or a few coaching calls as a coach wearing a coach hat, not a doctor hat, to help create some of the training videos for my coaches. So we already have three coaches that are ready to go, and hopefully we'll have another half dozen that will be coming online within the next four to six weeks. And so anyway, it was really exciting to do that, so I'm going to talk about that at the IEDFW. So anyway, without further ado, let's go ahead and get into some of the questions. So there was a question. I'm going to actually... I'm not sure what's the best way of doing this. Maybe I should go with the original questions. Bear with me one second. Now, I do want to say, as I'm pulling these questions up, I'm just going to go ahead and download the whole spreadsheet. There's a a whole spreadsheet of this. Um, I will say this. If there's a question that's asked... And nobody else seems to have an interest in that topic, I probably won't answer it. But if there's a question that's asked by six or seven or eight different people, then that will be a question that we will spend um, a lot more time going into and going into details. Because again, it's based upon how many people are interested in that particular topic, right? Uh, Also, not that it's necessarily. First, last name, email, country, subject, and question. And we will start this from then till Today. And okay. So I had not downloaded the whole spreadsheet with all the questions, but we've got a few hundred questions here. And I was going to take the most recent. And then I decided I'm not going to take the most recent. I'm just going to go with the oldest ones that are the most pertinent. Um, to quickly give you guys one other component of this, this ca- the categories that are available, and again, anybody can go there and see this in Advanced Medicine. If you guys think that there should be some other categories, let me know. But there are 11 categories right now. The categories are cancer, autism, neurodegenerative disease, whoops, excuse me, categories of cancer, autism, neurodegenerative disease, general toxicity, detoxification, heavy metals, chemicals, nutritional therapies, political, philosophical, and I think that's all it is. So I'm going to add a couple of categories to this. One is the category, Oops, excuse me, One is a category of spiritual, and if you guys have any other categories you think that we should talk about, then please submit those. Um, Another category I was going to have was longevity or what people call age management. And um, there was one other component in there, and I can't remember what it was. But anyway, anything that you have a thought process on that you would like as as a category that we can put in the subject, And I will try to always hit these different categories. It's important to know because we may end up going to a theme where we do cancer one week, we do autism the next week, we do neurodegenerative disease the next week, we do general toxicity the next week. Um, So that's the reason I want to have these categories. And you may submit your question on cancer, but it may not be addressed to the week of cancer, which may be 12 weeks out, right, because we have all these different categories. Um, And, of course, we don't have enough uh, good questions in a specific category, then we would just skip them. So having said that, let me go and pull up the spreadsheet that has those questions in there. And what I'm really, really excited about is that there are questions coming in from all over the world. I mean, I I was shocked to see some of the questions that were coming in. We had questions coming in from China. I had no idea that I had people from China that were listening to us. But actually, I've had three different questions from three different people from China. So I was... uh, I was a little bit surprised about that. Let's see here.
1: There will be
0: one second. All right, so this should be the spreadsheet of the questions. All right, that is not the right spreadsheet. There's a lot of different things in there, data that I have no idea what that even means. That's more uh, a Josh thing. So let's go back over here. Philosophical, okay. So here is a, okay, that, that was a, so there was a question over here. I'm trying to figure out who asked this question. And the question says, Why can you not tell time? Who has who that question? And I look at it, and of course, it's Josh, my IT manager. So, so that, was, that was one of the questions that was submitted. So that's, um, that is the secret of life. So I'm not going to answer that question. All right. Um, all right. So here are some good questions that were submitted. on this on that and we will use all alignments. Okay. So sometimes the questions are kind of extensive. What I'm gonna try to do is go go through a question that is not as uh, as as um, detailed and a, a question that's going to be able to be answered you know, relatively efficiently. Let's put it that way. Because some questions can be preloaded loaded and they're very long. And any kind of clinical question that's specific to an individual, that I'm going to only do for the IADFW members. I think you guys already know that. Um, so here's a question. I had an ectopic. This question is asked by a lady in the United States. And her first name is Casey. And Casey asks, I had an ectopic pregnancy. Excuse me one second here. So these are some of the things that I need to figure out how to do more efficiently so that I'm not, uh, that I'm not wasting everyone's time while trying to figure out these computer issues. Okay. So Casey's question is, I had an ectopic pregnancy that resulted in the removal of my right tube, and they completed a HSG test and said that my left tube is blocked and has adhesions. I was wondering if there is a natural way of unblocking a fallopian tube and removing scar tissue. Okay. Now, scar tissue is a normal response to healing, and... There are certain types of tissue that have a greater propensity for developing scar than other tissues. And then there are certain types of skin, certain types of pigmentation in the skin, certain types of uh, responses and healing that will cause um, a scar to develop in a more dramatic fashion than it would in other people based upon the amount of melanin and such. So, for example, people of dark skin, Mediterranean descent, um, uh, African-American that type of skin color that type of melon content will usually lead to uh, hypertrophy of the scar so that's where the keloids will form the keloids are the very very hypertrophy type scars and that's of course on the external part of the body uh, they are different different tissues will have a different propensity to scar, as I, as I mentioned so when you're dealing with something like the fallopian tubes when you're talking about the internal scars Internal scars are called adhesions. Adhesions are basically fibrous strands of tissue that um, develop in response to the healing process, and so sometimes you'll have people that have had multiple abdominal surgeries for whatever reason. Let's say a woman had a cesarean section, and then let's say she had an open laparotomy for an exploratory lap where they were trying to figure out what was going on because she had intractable rebound tenderness and pain in her abdomen, and then let's say that you know 20 years before that she had blunt trauma and they did an exploratory lap to just find out in other words, let's say they us say she had multiple histories of abdominal surgery. So more surgeries you've had in the abdomen, you're going to have a greater spar formation or greater adhesions that are going to form. And then what happens is these adhesions form, and they think of them as fibrous tissue. They're, they're like strands. They're almost like ropes, okay, like strings. Um, they're not quite like strings, but they're, they're fibrous bands of tissue, and then they can actually cause loops around the bowel and they can cause obstruction, they can cause all sorts of different types of problems. So people will have intractable pain, they'll have intermittent pain, they'll have all sorts of other issues going on where they're not having normal bowel functions, or if they are not having normal bowel functions, they'll have a lot of discomfort, a lot of cramping, a lot of uh, bloating, and, and especially a lot of pain. These are, if the person has a surgical history of, or multiple surgeries of their abdomen, then you're start taking abdominal uh, adhesions. And so adhesions can form anywhere in the body. I'm just using the the case of uh, abdominal adhesions just because uh, when I was in general surgery, that's what we saw most commonly. But let's say somebody is, you know, an orthopedic surgeon, right? So if they do recurrent surgeries in an area of an individual, let's say the person broke their ankle, they have an external fixation device, and they have to go in there and do multiple surgeries over a period of a couple years, there's going to be more fibrotic tissue. There's going to be more scarring in that area. Because anytime you cut the body, any time there's an injury to the body, the normal response of the body is to try to heal. And scarring, which people sometimes forget, scarring is a way that the body heals. It's a mechanism of trying to make that area that was damaged as strong as it was originally. The problem is once you had an area that's injured, it's typically not as strong as it was originally. So then the fibrous tissues develop, and these adhesions develop and, and the scarring forms in order to make that original injury site as strong that's what the goal is to make it as strong as it was originally and sometimes it's a hyper responsiveness that makes it maybe that's where the keloids will form and such and so the the entire goal is to make that area that was injured into the into this having the same integrity as it did originally prior to the injury so scarring is a natural healing process that the body goes through to try to prevent further injury, that's to prevent further injury in the future, but also to try to make sure that the integrity of that part of the body um, comes back to what it was originally. So it is, it's a desired component, but when the scar forms either disfigurement or it forms adhesions in the abdomen, for example, then causes obstruction because of the fibrous bands causing, um, pre- preventing the peristaltic motion so that as the food goes through the digestive tract uh, and there's a band that's causing a constriction, it won't flow through it. So those are the types of things that are not desired effects, obviously. So we have the scarring, which is a natural healing response, but then there will be untoward effects as a result of that healing that can result in disfigurement or pain or discomfort or other types of issues such as volvulus and intussusception due to these adhesions that are formed that cause the bowel to react in a certain way. So. Coming back to Casey's question specifically, are they natural? So I, I thought it was important to at least explain the basics so that how scarring works or how adhesions form and the entire mechanism behind it. So it's a natural healing process. Now, when you've got a fallopian tube, it's not normal for the fallopian tubes to be per se injured because that's not a normal place that you get uh, an injury. Fallopian tubes are the part that connects the uterus to the ovaries and allows the eggs to um, come into the uterus and, you know, the... Basically, that's where a baby is formed, is in the uterus. But the eggs are in the fallopian tube, and the I'm sorry, eggs and the ovaries, and as they're released, they come through the fallopian tubes into the uterus, and of course, you know, the egg is fertilized, and that's where the baby is uh, is developed. So, when a person has what they call a BTL, bilateral tubal ligation, which is to prevent them from being getting pregnant in the future, uh, which is what um, that's not Casey's case. She had an ectopic pregnancy, which is basically a pregnancy, but the, but the embryo is not the, the egg and the sperm when they come together form a zygote, and then that forms into the embryo, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And an ectopic pregnancy is when the pregnancy, when the egg and the, when the egg is not in the right area. It, it actually doesn't go all the way through the fallopian tube and. Uh, can be lodged in the fallopian tube or can be lodged somewhere else. It's not where it's supposed to be, so it's outside of the uterus, and so that can be actually an emergency. Somebody can die from that. So, usually, when they end up having to go in and have that corrected surgically, they'll usually end up creating, um, they they'll, may remove part of the fallopian tube, or depending on where the egg is, depending on how extensive it is, it, it all varies depending on what the situation is. But in Casey's case, she had an ectopic pregnancy, so that's why they had to go in there. They had the removal of the right tube. They had it removed because that's obviously where the egg was uh, lodged and there's a pregnancy there, but, of course, it will never sustain and it causes uh, the potential of rupturing the Philippine tube and a person can bleed out and it it can die from that. So she had this ectopic pregnancy. It resulted in the removal of the right tube and then they completed um, one of the tests and said that her left tube was blocked and had lesions. And the reason she's probably asking this is the reason she wants the left unblocked, is that she would probably like to get pregnant. I'm assuming here that that's what the reason for the question is. Um, So how can one create a situation where the normal adhesions are removed um, without a surgical intervention? Now, there may be certain ways of doing that. I'm not aware of that, but I do know that what we think may be adhesions are actually other components that may be getting in the way. Now, this test that uh, Casey mentioned, I've had patients that have come to me with those tests that showed that they had an adhesion or they had a blocked broken tube, and that's why they couldn't get pregnant, and they'd gone through all sorts of different procedures. And we actually, believe it or not, didn't do anything from that perspective. We actually detoxified them, optimized the nutrition, and ma- balanced their hormones, not by giving them bioidentical hormones and all this other garbage, by ba- ba- basically getting the things out of the body that the body shouldn't have. And heavy metals are a very big part of this, but you basically get rid of the persistent organic glucose of the heavy metals basically address the seven toxicities that I talk about in my book, The Night such to Keep the Doctor Away. You get rid of those seven toxicities, and by doing so, the body's natural mechanisms come back into play. And every one of the patients that have ever come to me for this reason, I, I, you know, we don't deal really with women that can't get pregnant. Our primary area of, uh, of medicine, cancer, autism, um, basically people that are immunocompromised, neurodegenerative disease, heart disease, that's basically what we deal with, you know, stroke, Alzheimer's, autism, um, but predominantly cancer, degenerative disease, and heart disease. Now, having said that, there are not many people that come to us because they can't get pregnant, but I have had over the years probably a dozen and a half to two dozen women, uh, family members of patients, previous patients, and or friends that couldn't get pregnant, had gone through all the different things and then came to us and wanted to see what we could do. And within six months to a year, all of them, 100% results, we had women get pregnant. But we didn't do anything for the pregnancy part, right? We got the body optimized, and the body then, once it was optimized, it was easier for the body to get pregnant. That's what it came down to. In fact, I've got a very close friend of mine right now who's bringing his wife down this week, in fact, from Canada for that very reason. So the point that I'm making is that I don't know if anything specific that would get rid of adhesions in the fallopian tubes naturally. There may be certain things that you can do. I don't really know what those would be. But more often than not, if there's a blockage and there's no previous history of surgery in that area that causes adhesions, even though a test may show that something is blocked, it's not necessarily a physical block. It may be a a non-physical block. For example, it could be an inflammatory casket that's causing the fallopian tubes to be swollen up and so that there's a relative obstruction because the lumen is constricted due to the inflammation of the tissue around it. And so that would then show that the test is, is positive for a blocked fallopian tube. Or they could be, other, you know, there's many different things that could be. Um, I don't get really enamored with the details, the fine details as to what's causing the block and this and that. My whole goal is that if it's supposed to happen, um, I want to get the body optimized. I want to get the mother to be in the best possible health that she can be so that she can optimize her hormones, ideally, which will then allow her to get pregnant if she can get physically pregnant. Um, this is a case of the floating tubes causing. Uh, a physical impedance to getting pregnant, and yes, there are scenarios like that, but in my experience so far, I have not experienced that. Again, you know, I've only treated maybe a dozen and a half to two dozen women for this issue, but um, more than half of them had this test that said that they had a blocked floating tube. We didn't do anything with the floating tubes. We just optimized them, and within six months to a year, they all got pregnant. There's another component to this mental, emotional, and psychological aspect. This is the fifth and seventh toxicities. Um, if an individual has uh, emotional, psychological toxicity or spiritual toxicity, it's very hard for an individual to get pregnant. If there's a lot of stress, anxiety, there's a lot of forgiveness issues, guilt, resentment, you know, whatever other emotions, it's very difficult to get pregnant. Some women, they don't have a problem getting pregnant. They It doesn't matter what situation they're in. I've had women, you know, basically in my office crying, saying, you know, I don't understand why my um, college roommate, you know, his... Uh, or her sister you know who was a drug addict and was in rehab and done, did all these terrible things to her body and was a, an alcoholic and you know she smokes and she 's so toxic and yet she got pregnant and you know i 've done everything I can and i can't get pregnant look this is a this is a you know why why this person and not me type of thing okay there's an attitude aspect over here too Remember that everything that is happening in your life, whether you recognize it or not at that moment, it's happening by design. There is a reason for it. And what you may think is a bad situation uh, and why you can't get pregnant, maybe there's a reason because your body is not optimized so that your body can get pregnant. And it's a way that the creator is preventing an anomaly from occurring, right? I mean, I'm getting a little bit off topic here, but it's important to understand that when an individual, for example, a woman who can't get pregnant isn't getting pregnant despite what she's doing, there's a reason for that. There's, 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 a, there's a imbalance issue going on. And maybe if the person was to get pregnant, it would end up being um, a, a detrimental situation to the, either the baby or to the mom or, or, or both cases. So uh, I'll just tell you from my own experience, after my daughter was born, in my first marriage, um, after my daughter was born, we tried to have a second child and my uh, ex-wife Three, three times she had miscarriages. Twice, or three, I think three times she had miscarriages, and um, at forty she decided that she was just not, you know, she basically came to a resolution that she wasn't going to have another child at the age of uh, forty. And two years later, forty-two, she got pregnant, and with my son Avi, who's now twenty. And um, but that was after, you know, from what was it from thirty-six to forty-two. From 36 to 40, for those four years, she had three miscarriages trying to have a second child. And then when she finally just gave up on it and stopped thinking about it and stopped focusing on it and stopped, um, you know, what's the word? Where she was just constantly engaged, creating this stress, this expectation, you know, obsessing over it. As soon as she stopped obsessing over it and stopped um, questioning, you know, what's wrong with me? Why can't I get pregnant? Blah, blah, blah. As soon as she'd let it go and resolved and, and this took a while to get it to, to be able to do this in fact i tried for a while for a year year and a half and it didn't work and then finally she came to a resolution on her own that she was 40 she's beyond the window of having a child and she just basically gave up and it wasn't until then that she relaxed and it was out of her um, mind that she was able to get pregnant um so yes we need to be focused on what we want in life Where attention goes energy flows that's a very true thing but if you're your attention is going towards what's wrong with me, why can't I get pregnant, you know, why does everybody else get pregnant when I'm not, then your attention is, your energy is being focused on why you're not getting pregnant, which is the the universe doesn't hear why is it not happening. It's just hearing can't. what's wrong with me, what's wrong with me, what's wrong with me. And so that's creating a stress. You know, your adrenal uh, glands are kicking out and your hormones are all whacked out, and so you can't get pregnant. As soon as she came to a resolution that she wasn't going to be able to get pregnant she was too old and she gave up on it and now was no longer worried about it that's when her body calmed down and she was able to have a baby um and that's you know one of the greatest days of my life when my son Abi was born i have three phenomenal kids and uh, each one of them was, uh, was a tremendous gift but the point being is you don't want to create so much stress on yourself that you can't get pregnant too. And so when you do these tests, these tests will show certain things. Oh, your floating tubes are, are blocked or, or your you know, luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormones are whacked out. You need this hormone, you need that hormone, you need this and that. A lot of times it's just calming down and just allowing the body to take over. If you're driving down the road and you see an object in the middle of the road and you try to, you look at that object, trying to make sure that you avoid hitting that object, you will invariably hit that object. That's one reason they teach you in driver's ed, right? When you see something in the middle of the road or when you're driving a car, look all the way down. You look past that object so you can't go around it. But if you look at that object, you're looking at the object, you're trying to avoid hitting it, you're going to hit it. it. It happens all the time. So the point here is, again, look down the road. If you want to get pregnant, focus on being healthy. Focus on, on allowing your body chemistry to adjust itself to the optimum, you know, eating properly, exercising, doing all the things that you know are good for you abstaining from vices, you know, reducing your alcohol intake, not smoking, et cetera, et cetera. Do all the stuff that you know that your body needs from a longevity, health, wellness standpoint, and then, believe it or not, you will find yourself a much higher chance of getting pregnant. As far as, far as the fallopian tubes being blocked with its adhesions and, and, you know, maybe different other types of things like that, again, I don't know if anything specific that would break down an adhesion naturally. The only way that I know it, to deal with an adhesion it would be surgically to go in there into what they call uh, ligate and divide the, the adhesion, or just to you know basically to cut it, and it, it's like cutting a band, and it releases the tissue. But it, you normally don't have that type of situation in the fallopian tube. This is more like in the abdominal region, in within the actual abdominal cavity, where you have these large adhesions because of a lot of surgery and a lot of other things that are going on. In in um, I think in this uh, in the fallopian tube, when they say adhesions or blockages, it's usually not that case. It's usually um, unless there was the a previous surgery that caused some of those problems, it's usually something more indirect, like swelling, like inflammation, uh, something that's causing the tubes to shrink down or swell up, rather. So it swells outward and inwards, and then that causes a blockage. So when they do these tests for, to look for uh, the ability for the egg to traverse the floating tubes, they see a resistance in the lumen or, or a reduction in the lumen, and so then they say that there's an adhesion, something blocking it, something constricting it, and it's usually more a systemic issue than a, than a focal localized issue such as an adhesion. So hopefully, Casey, that answered your question, and um, probably a long answer, but um, I think it was important to get that background. Um, I'm going to just pause for a second and see. Um, okay, and I'm going to try to answer any other questions on here specifically on on Facebook too. As soon as I, I'll do two questions and I'll try to answer the Facebook questions. That's what I'll do. All right. Um. Let's see. Next question. Okay. This was a question that was uh, a nutritional question that was asked by uh, I, somebody here in the United States again. By first name is by Andrea. Okay, and Andrea asked a question. I guess this must have been some time ago. How does a liposomal supplement differ than a regular supplement? Okay, this is really something that I can discuss over a long period of time and go into a lot of details, or I can keep it very very simple. And I think I'm going to choose to keep this very simple. So supplements come in all shapes forms um, and such and there's different types of supplements obviously you have you know herbal things you have vitamins you have minerals you have different different categories so liposomal is a liposome is something that is um, is essentially a fat molecule that encompasses or encases the nutrient and allows it to be absorbed into the system um, easier than it would if it wasn't encapsulated in this, in this uh, lipid lipid layer. So you have cell membranes. And the cell membranes have a, what they call, the cell membrane I don't want to get into a lot of cell biology over here, and partially because it's pretty intricate, partially because I'm afraid that I may say something wrong because it's been a long time since I talked about cell biology. But basically, cells have a lipid bilayer. The cell membrane is a lipid bilayer, okay? Lipid meaning fat, bilayer meaning two layers. So there's two layers of fat that encompass the cell membrane, that create the cell membrane. And on the outside part of the cell membrane, and on the inside part of the cell membrane, you have what they call um, you have what they call hydro, let's see, hydrophilic or hydrophobic? Okay, so you have two different components. So you have a hydrophilic and a hydrophobic component. The hydrophilic versus the hydrophobic, hydro meaning water, phobic meaning scared off. So hydrophobic is, is the lipid bilayer that is resistant to water. Water, water will not penetrate it hydrophilic is that the water will penetrate it without any problem. So the hydrophilic water molecule, the water-based substances, will go across it without any problem. But hydrophobic things such as, you know, fat-type things, oil-type things, they will not, they they have a hard time going through it. So the liposome, which is a, liposome, think of it as a a lipid um, molecule. The liposome, when it's liposomal delivery, it's basically that mineral, that herb, that whatever it is that's encased in this liposome or or lipid layer, lipid delivery mechanism, that now allows it to go through, to permeate, to penetrate that hydrophobic layer that prevents things from going through. Because again, it doesn't want certain things to go through that cell membrane. So water can go through it, through the hydrophilic component, but the hydrophobic component, it won't. But the lipid bilayer, because it's lipid, uh, it's a lipid bilayer, it's, it's made, made of a certain com- composition of fat, just lipids, think of it as lipids, um, the liposomal encased molecule can now travel through that hydrophobic layer and get into the cell, allow the nutrient to be delivered into the cell. So liposomal delivery mechanisms are superior for certain substances that otherwise could not get into the body because the hydro phobic component will prevent them from being absorbed certain things you don't have to worry about it right certain things you don't need to have a liposomal component because the body's going to absorb it anyway other things they are issues with getting them absorbed so liposomal delivery will help to penetrate and permeate that area of the body so that they can actually get to the to the cells without having to be um without being prevented from being being allowed to be entered so that's what the liposomal supplements are Unfortunately, there's a lot of hype around liposomal things too. Because some things that are advertised as liposomal-based to help delivery, they don't need to be liposomal-based, right? You, you don't, you in fact, wouldn't want them to be liposomal-based because they're already hydrophilic. In nature, they can, um, they're already, they already get absorbed into the body without any problems. But certain things that won't get absorbed into the body. For example, I'll give you an example: glutathione. Glutathione is glutamine, glutamic acid, cysteine, and glycine. It's a three amino acid um, component that forms glutathione. Glutathione is the most abundant, most ubiquitous antioxidant within the whole body. Glutathione is very, 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 very difficult to absorb uh, orally. It just, the body can't absorb it. So a lot of times people will give the precursors like the glutamic acid, cysteine, glycine, um, they'll give these different components so the body has a building box to create it themselves. Now, intravenously, we can give glutathione, and we do that in our office all the time. But there are companies now with the, what they call the liposomal glutathione, right? The glutathione is put in this liposomal base, and then theoretically it gets absorbed in the body. Now, my experience is that whether or not that works or not, I've only seen if the seven or eight different products that have been marketed that I've seen glutathione, liposomal delivery glutathione. Only one of them did seem to work. And even then, it was very inferior compared to when we gave intravenous glutathione. So you could take a month's worth of this liposomal-glutathione delivery, and this one IV would you know supersede it five-fold. Again... Um, Sometimes it's not practical to get an IV, and and it's easier to just take that supplement. And maybe, you know, if you get the right company with the right delivery mechanism, um, then it's going to work. But more often than not, I've seen that a lot of these liposomal delivery mechanisms that people talk about, it's more marketing hype. I'm sure it's, from from a scientific standpoint, it's valid if they're actually able to create that liposomal delivery but unfortunately, a lot of times companies, I have at least seen the glutathione. It hasn't been, it hasn't come to fruition. There's only one company that actually seemed to really work with the liposomal delivery. Vitamin C is another one. A lot of companies will tout their vitamin C is liposomal delivery. And if you can get vitamin C into the cells um, more efficiently, yeah, that's a good thing. But again, remember, there are only five things that penetrate, for example, a cancer cell, right? Cancer is um, water can penetrate a normal cell, all right? Water can penetrate a cancer cell. The five things that can... Cancer is more resistant to, to normal healthy cells. So there's only five things that will enter a cancer cell. That's rubidium, cesium, uh, water, sugar, glucose, and vitamin C. Because the receptors for sugar uh, and vitamin C are identical. So those are the only five things that will enter a cancer cell. Healthy cells, many other things can absorb a healthy cell. But when they're saying, "Hey, we you know we have a liposomal delivery vitamin C," well, you know vitamin C will go into the cells anyway. So when you're talking about vitamin C, liposomal delivery, are you getting more in there? Well, maybe, theoretically, maybe you are, but you know, the body's only going to be able to absorb so much. Now, One of the components is people will say, well, if you take vitamin C uh, in large amounts, you'll get a catharsis, uh, cathartic type response where you get diarrhea after a certain amount that body can't handle the vitamin C. But if you take liposomal vitamin C, the same amount, you're not going to have that catharsis. You're not going to have that cathartic movement with the, with the diarrhea because the vitamin C is going to be more absorbed into your body. Well, that may be true. And uh, maybe maybe um, from a cost standpoint, you know, the liposomal vitamin C may be four times as expensive. You know, my thought would be, well, just take the regular vitamin C and just take it in smaller doses instead of taking, you know, five grams at one time. Take a gram, gram, and a quarter at a time, four times a day, and you're going to get the same effect because you're going to um, get a slow exposure or you're going to get a slow delivery of the vitamin C as opposed to taking five grams of liposomal vitamin C just to get absorbed at one time. Again, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, what are the economics of it? What's the practicality of it? Um, is liposomal delivery like a time-release delivery? No, it's not. So now you're getting a hit of five grams of vitamin C at one time, and then you're not getting anything else. I'd much rather have a gram and a half, a gram and a quarter going into my body four times in a day. But then, of course, from an ease of use standpoint, how often are you going to be able to keep up with taking a supplement, you know, four times in a day? So, again, there's, there's various pros and cons. But certain things don't need to be liposomally delivered because it's just not necessary. the body's going to absorb it on its own. So that's why I use the vitamin C and the glutathione as an example. The glutathione is very difficult to absorb. Vitamin C is very easy to absorb, but you will see liposomal delivery for both of those types of items, and some of them may be considered marketing help. So hopefully, Andrew, that answered your question on the liposomal delivery component. And I didn't show too much of my ignorance between the lipid bilayer, the hydrophobic, hydrophilic component, but at least that got the general you got the general idea all right what time really flies it's uh, I've already been on for almost 45 minutes that's interesting okay so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to well let's go to Instagram and see if there's any questions on Instagram and feel free to ask me any questions on Instagram or on Facebook and I'll try to answer them at the conclusion of doing the couple of questions um, a lot of waves. Thank you for all the nice waves. And don't see any questions, though, so that's good. There's no questions there. And let's go back to Facebook. Kimberly said, I felt like an orphan for two weeks. Um, okay, so that's the two weeks that we haven't been on live. That's funny, Kimberly. Um, hi, Dine. Hi, Tiffany. Hi, Danica. Hi, everybody. Amy. Richard, M.M., I think, M.M., I think we've got a, I think I've got you scheduled as one on the coaching calls coming up here. I believe you and Amy both, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Jane, Martha, hello, everybody. Soraya, we have somebody here from Barranquilla, Colombia. Awesome. Uh, Carla. Carla. Jerry, Ruth, hi, everybody. Okay, so Soraya says, "Uh, doctor, I need your help. I have a five-year-old son with autism, with his autism in Spanish, I guess. I want to know what the protocol to follow. Thanks. Uh, Soraya, first, that's a very, very loaded question. Second, I can't give you our protocol because it's a very, very detailed thing. It depends on the age of the child and what we find on the workup. it's not something i can just answer in a question like this it's taken us um you know almost a quarter of a century our protocol that we have you can go to a website called autismdefined.net that's autism a-u-t-i-s-m defined d-e-f-i-n-i d-e-f-i-n-e-d defined.net having a problem spelling here and um go through that website and for anybody that's listening if you have an interest in autism, or you have a child with autism, or a grandchild with autism, or a neighbor, a friend, or a relative, or nephew, niece that has autism, go to autismdefined.net. And uh, just go through the website. You look at the real numbers, and then click on the video tab, and watch those 12 videos, okay? Some of you may have already seen the very first one, so you can skip over that one. But at least, there's 11 really good videos broken down into, they're called Autism uh, Truth, or Truth About Autism videos. So at Autism Defined, watch the truth about autism videos. And there's a total of 12, and it'll pretty much answer all your questions. And then if you, have, if you uh, put your email down, you'll actually get access to about, uh, I think it's like 14 different um, components that other people can't normally access. It's only for people that actually register. Uh, there's a, there's our, my autism congressional testimony that I gave before the US Congress in 2004, the entire congressional testimony with references over a thousand pages. Um, there's a there's a paper that Dr. Bernhoff and I wrote on mercury toxicity that was published in the Townsend Newsletter. There's another paper we submitted to the Lancet. Um, there's a, a number of articles, and some videos. These are the resources at the AutismDefined.net that you can get if you go ahead and put your email down and register on the website. So. That would be a good place for you to start, uh, Soraya. And then once beyond that point, then, you know, if you need more help, more resources, you can go to the YouTube channel at YouTube. Uh, just do a search under uh, my name, Dr. Guitar. You'll find our channel there. And there's a lot of resources there. And uh, actually, the doctor's videos. Some of those videos are there as well. And uh, if you need more help, then you can contact the office. But it's not something simple that I can say, oh, yeah, take this, you know, X, Y, and Z, and you're done. It, it just doesn't work that way. All right? Christy says, uh, watching in Chicago, awesome. We've got people from all over that have actually tuned in in the past. Um, Martha wants to know, how do you sign up for the IADFW, the International Association for a Disease-Free World? Well, Martha, thank you for asking a question that's that's an appealing question for me to answer. And I will actually turn that question over to any of the moderators on the site, and you guys can tell her. Basically, you would just go create your free profile on advancedmedicine.com. You need a uh, invitation code, and one of the moderators can provide you with one of the codes, or one of the people on here that's already an IADFW member can provide you with their invitation code. You can go on there and, and register. Basically, it's free, and then once you're in there, then you can see how you can become a member of the IADFW. The membership to the IADFW is $99 a year, but for a limited time we have we did this for a year and a half uh, that we had it basically a lifetime membership for a very very nominal fee now it's for a one one year fee if you join for you pay the first year's fee of $99 you'll end up getting a lifetime membership so you never have to pay again plus you get the map to get a head program which is a $2468 value that you get free as a bonus and when you're in the, when you're in advancedmedicine.com, when you created your free account on the dashboard, just look at the IADFW tab on the far left. said join IADFW. You can go through all that material. You can actually see at the end where it goes through and explains all the components of the map to get a head bundle. You can watch a webinar online that kind of explains all the components in there. And um, we'll, we'll actually be putting all that together in a, in a format that will make it uh, easier to understand too. I need to make a note of myself to tell Josh to do something. And um, if you just follow that process, then you'll learn how to get uh, to be a member of the IADFW. And many of the moderators that are on here, many of the people on this Facebook stream right now, they are members of the IADFW, so they can help you also to show you how to do that. But the first step is to create your free account. That gives you access to the head map and many other things completely for free. Create that free account. You just you just take 30 seconds to make it, but you need need an invitation code to create that. And once you're in your dashboard at advancedmedicine.com, and from there on, um, it's self-explanatory. Hi, Louise. Louise was also one of the people that had her coaching call this week. Actually, yesterday, I believe it was. Um, so I said, "Do you believe uh, in GC math to treat autism?" No, sorry, I, I do not. Um, I don't. You know, GC math is not. It doesn't get rid of toxicity. Okay, um, it may do certain other things, but it does not take care of uh, that component. So many people have claimed many things will help treat their autism, but you know, if one person says X, Y, and Z created solve their autism, there's another. 50 that have tried the same thing and it didn't do anything for their autism. So is it possible that something can have a unique effect on an individual? Absolutely. But our protocol is focused on one thing and one thing only, and that is removing the, the most toxic, second most toxic substance known to man out of the body, which is mercury. And mercury is the only thought, thing that causes denudation of the neurofibrils. It causes the brain to basically disintegrate. So if you watch those videos at autismdefined.net. If you're just looking for a quick answer, you know, you want these kind of answers, you're doing yourself a disservice. Watch those videos. It doesn't cost you any money. Those videos range between five to ten minutes each. Go through those videos and then you will understand what causes autism. They, people say, well, we don't know what causes autism. You know, that's, I don't know what I can say. Well, it's BS, okay? Uh, it, is, it is not, and I'm not talking about belief system. It is not true that we don't know what causes autism. If you watch those videos, I will show you in those videos, and after you watch those videos, then let's see what, how you answer that question. To me, it's very, very clear what causes autism. Um, we've treated over 3,300 children in our, my clinic alone in the last 23 years, and there's only one thing I've done to focus in on helping these children get better, and that is to remove mercury, and I can show you of those 3,300, you know, more than half of those kids are totally neurotypic today, especially if we got them before the age of 5, 6. Basically, after the age of 7, our, our success rate drops down. We, we, we drop down to, you know, 60 70%. After the age of 9, 10, you know, it drops down quite significantly from there. My oldest child that is totally neurotypic today, that is um, healthy and functional, the, old, the oldest one that we started treating was he was 15, 16 at the time we started treating him, and I think David's now, like, in his mid-20s, 25, 26, uh, somewhere in that range. And um, doing fantastic in California. So, um, in fact, you'll see some of the webinars. That's another thing I need to do. I need to see if I can find that webinar with David and Webinar. Put that on Occupy Defined. Okay. So... It's basically the removal of mercury, uh, and GC Map does not facilitate that. Okay, Luis says, um, "Hi, Martha. Good advance message. Perfect." So Luis has already taken over that to help um, Martha learn how to join the IEDW. Thank you for that, Luis. Kevin, hey, how are you? MM says, "The reason people are calling from all over the world is because you know your stuff, and people are waking up to what is happening in this world." MM, I think, uh, I think your words are. At least the people are waking up part. I mean, that's very true. I'd like to know that I, i like to feel that I know my stuff. I'm, I feel like that chimpanzee in that poster that, that uh, is reading a book that's saying, the more I learn the more I realize I don't know. And that's how I feel sometimes. I feel today I know less than 20 years ago when I thought, or 30 years ago when I thought I knew everything. So there's an old saying, I can't believe how stupid my father was when I was 19 and how smart my father became by the time I turned 21. Of course, you know, being facetious about that, as we get older, within that two-year time frame from 19 to 21, we realize, you know, we thought our dad didn't know anything, and then we realize how much our father really knows and how little we really know. So the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. Um, so it's a constant process of learning. But I appreciate the the words, M.M., and with your help and with the help of the other people that are in the IADFW, God willing, we are going to make a difference on this planet by making change the world's waiting for. And we're going to make that change the world's waiting for one person at a time, starting with you. And that's what our slogan is. That's what the the mission behind IADFW is. Um, I'm actually going to ask Luis, you, and um, Tiffany, you tonight on IADFW. I'm going to probably have you guys, uh, in general terms, just kind of share what you thought about what we went through with the coaching call. And um, anyway, it. it I had a really good time with both those calls, and uh, of course, I'm not going to be doing coaching calls with um, you know as, as once we've got all our coaches in line and we've got the coach trainers on on par and they're good to go, then they'll be basically working with the coaches. My goal is to develop a relationship with all these coaches and and help the coaches get the word out to everybody that's joined the map to get ahead program so we can reach um, reach the masses so. Anyway, we have three coaches that are ready to go, and then we have uh, two people that are wanting to be coaches that are already in the in the pipeline, and then probably a couple dozen others that, that are really excited about it. So if you have not received an email from me and you had voiced the desire to become a coach, but you didn't receive anything from me, you know, please send a message again. I will put that down at the IEDFW. If you're not a member of the IEDFW, it doesn't really matter because you wouldn't be able to um, get involved with that anyway until you become an IADFW member. But somebody remind me when we are on the IADFW live broadcast, and uh, that way I can give you guys an email to send if you have not heard from me and you have voiced a desire to be a, a head map coach, a map to get a head coach. All right, so just remind me of that. Thank you, Louise, for reaching out to Martha. Kathy says, uh, is there a successful treatment for... Eczema besides steroid cream. Kathy, awesome question, really awesome question. Um, Do me a favor and submit that question at askdrbutar.com because I would love to answer that question. Unfortunately, I need to be ending the broadcast because we've been on for right about an hour. Um, Well, you know what, let me answer this question because it's such a good question. And I'm going to give you a short version of it and then there's a much longer version. But when somebody has eczema, I don't care what kind of eczema it is. I don't care where it is in the body. It is first and foremost important for you to address your gut. So eczema, I have extremely bad eczema, okay? It's our diet. It's the, our, our gastrointestinal dysbiosis, the imbalance in the gastrointestinal system that leads to skin problems like eczema, Okay, psoriasis, many other things like this. If you can get a handle on your gut and get that straightened out, you will see so many other changes, including an improvement in joint issues, including an improvement in eczema, including resolution of psoriasis, etc., etc. So it's always a gut issue. You start with the gut. And if you go to advancedmedicine.com and you create your free account there with the invitation code that one of the IEW members can give you, you will have access to the head map. A head map stands for Advanced Health Evaluation and Assessment for Detoxification Medical Assessment Program. If you get into and do the head map, you will then find out where which organs of detoxification are impaired, and you will see whether or not your gut ha- you have an issue with your gut. And in fact, the gut is the most extensive component of the head map. There's four phases that we look at, and you will know whether or not there's an imbalance with your gut. If you can get that straightened out and address the gut, get that balanced you will see an improvement in psoriasis and eczema and you know, all sorts of other issues. So that was a quick and short version. Good question, though. Sam, hi, how are you? Uh, Aliana, hello. Susan said, I'd love this time better. Yeah, that's another reason that I decided to uh, stop doing the uh, radio because a lot of you, a lot of people were having a problem. You know, the problem is that we have people from all over the world, so – even though it's 8 p.m. on the East Coast, it's still 5 p.m. on the West Coast, and you know it's it's uh what is it? It's uh three two it's two o'clock in Hawaii, uh, and so it's always going to be disruptive in some time zone. But um, this does end up being a, a I mean I'm used to doing this time frame, so we just came back to this phase, and again everything's going to be recorded and available for anybody to watch afterwards. So just being on live is it's the only issue. Uh, Richard, oh, that must be your invitation code, Richard. Thank you for uh, helping somebody to get access to the advanced medicine website. Andrea we also did the same thing. Thank you, Tiffany. Um, that's the Autism Defined website. Thank you. Good. Martha already and I'm sitting here behind. I'm, I'm answering the questions of so Martha already and that's excellent, Martha. Susan says, do you remove silver fillings before treatment? Um, Silver fillings are actually amalgam, mercury amalgam, 49.5% by weight of mercury. Note that they do not need to be removed as long as you are planning on having them removed within the next six months. If you are not planning on having them removed and you go ahead and start getting mercury removed out of your body, the problem is you're just getting a temporary fix because those fillings, what you're calling silver fillings, those amalgam fillings, are outgassing at five to nine nanograms per deciliter per tooth per day. So that's an issue that if they're not going to be taken out, when you're doing IV treatments, removing mercury, yes, it's going to end up coming out faster than it's outgassing. So you, you know you have the next six months to get the fillings out, not an issue. But if you haven't made plans to get the fillings removed, then remember, you may be getting rid of the mercury out of the body, but it's outgassing and accumulating in your body from the dental amalgams in your mouth. So there's five to nine nanograms per deciliter per tooth per day of outgassing so if you have you know 10 amalgams in your mouth then you know you got 50 to 90 micrograms um, uh, nanograms excuse me of uh, mercury outgassing and absorbing into your body on a daily basis so Instagram let me just quickly look at Instagram because I think uh, Instagram is about to, it's only limits you to an hour and Instagram is about to end here so I just want to make sure there's no questions on Instagram A lot of people coming on Instagram, but um, no questions. so That's good. Guys, remember, askdrbutar.com. You can submit your questions there. Okay. Coming back to Facebook. Jennifer said, do you do any research into ALS? Yes, we have. We have looked at ALS. ALS is a a challenge, but yes, we have done. We haven't done any clinical. Well, we've done some outcome-based research in ALS. Yes. Uh, Mercury in uterine mom has a mercury in uterine. Mercury in uterine if mom has amalgams? Um, Susan, I think you're asking, is mercury in the uterus if the mom has amalgams? Yes. If you have amalgams, if a woman has amalgams, it's throughout the system. and Whether it's in the uterus or not is irrelevant because when the baby is uh, developing, the mother's body becomes a nutrient shunt to supply all the nutrient and all the beneficial components uh, to the fetus because that's what the mother's primary – function becomes as carrying a fetus is to provide nutrients and resources to the fetus. But it's not selective in what goes to the fetus. So everything good in your body is going to go to the fetus. Everything bad in your body is going to go to the fetus. So that's why it's so important for the mother to first be detoxified before she gets um, before she gets pregnant. So to me, if a woman is planning on getting pregnant, there are certain things that she should do. She should go through a proper detoxification, make sure the mercury levels are not high. You know, nutritively, she needs to get um, get um, buffed up, if you will. Um, women that exercise carry the pregnancy much better and actually give birth a lot easier. So there's a whole bunch of things that a woman can do. In fact, I've even thought about putting a program together for women that that are wanting to become moms um, to have them a six-month program to get them ready for motherhood, to, to be able to help their babies have the leading... Uh, advantage of you know basically second setting them up for success in fact I'm gonna break that down uh, new mom we might even put that together and have that available for members of the IEDFW so that people have a have a uh, in fact, that would be a good video to put together what what new moms can do to make sure that they have the healthiest baby possible and things that they can start doing six months before they're finally getting pregnant so that's, uh, that is a good question. Tori said, ideas for ringworm. Uh, ringworm is uh, relatively easy to deal with. You can get an over-the-counter antifungal. Just make sure it doesn't have any steroid in it. And uh, the anti, over-the-counter antifungals work really well. There may be some uh, homeopathics that work well. Um, I can't tell you specifically which ones, but uh, over-the-counter antifungals are actually, you know, if it's over-the-counter, and it's a topical, it's an antifungal, and it has no steroid, you're good to go. It's not going to hurt you at all. And it usually only takes two or three treatments to get rid of it. But I would still use it. Even if two weeks, or two days, or three days, you see the ring disappear, still continue treating it for about five days because it can't come back. All right. Andrea said, I cannot wait for the coaching call with you tomorrow evening. Well, Andrea, um, I didn't know whether I I knew I had another coaching call. In fact, I've got a coaching call every day for the rest of this week, Uh, so I am looking forward to two as well. I'll tell you that the two that I've already had with uh, Louise and with Tiffany were fantastic. I I really enjoyed them. I had a good time. Um, Holly says, "How do you get rid of keratosis?" Um, Well, it depends on what you know what type of keratosis it, it it is and. So there's many different types of keratosis, that's a generic type question, Um, and there are a number of ways, detoxification is the first place to start. So pretty much anything anybody asks me, um, I would tell you start at the head map and start looking at it. Many of these diagnoses are what doctors label because they don't know where it's coming from, and most of these diagnoses are just nothing more than descriptive terms. So do the head map and see what the issue is. In your organs of detoxification, start addressing those. And once those are addressed and once starts getting healthy, you'll see those things start to disappear, whatever your issue is. More often than not, I'd say 85 to 90% of the time, just by addressing the organs of detoxification and getting your head map score better by following the protocols as we've developed them, you don't have to do that. Obviously, but you have access to the head map. You can do whatever you want to do. But for people that are participating in the next step and starting and to utilize the protocols as uh, defined by the head map, what you need. Um, 85 to 90% of the time, whatever the medical conditions are, start to get better. So, again, I would go to advancedmedicine.com, create your free account, and do the head map and see what to, you know, where your scores are and what basically they're indicating. Uh, Melissa, uh, Melissa said, thank you for returning to this time. Absolutely, Melissa. Um, Holly wants to know what is the website? I think that's advancedmedicine. You're talking about it's advancedmedicine.com. Heather said, have you looked at advanced TRS zeolite for heavy metal detox? Yes, Heather, I've looked at all sorts of different zeolites. Uh, I don't know about the advanced TRS, but a zeolite is a zeolite. Um, and, you know, they bind to metals. There's no doubt about that, but it's not the same as a chelator, okay? If it was, then we would have thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of children that wouldn't that have autism that wouldn't have an issue with it. But the problem is that the zeolite can get maybe to the superficial... Uh, Free flowing type metals, but things that are bound to the terminal end of the protein structure, the mercury that's bound to the subhydro groups of the terminal end of the protein structure, and especially the things that are bound to the um, internal self-hydro groups in, in protein structure, they can't be ex- accessed by zeolites or any of those things. In fact, they're even difficult to be accessed by the chelators, but through a process of uh, homeostasis and, and um, the higher grading to lower grading shunts, you know, then you can start creating a decrease in the amount of mercury. But even with the chelers, like British analucide is one of the best chelers out there, but it'll get to the internal, the mercury that's bound to the internal self hydro groups within the protein structure. The problem is it's a 20% mortality. So one out of five people will die from the British analucide because it's causing, as it's pulling the mercury off the, off the self hydro group in the within the protein structure is causing a disruption of that sulfhydrate group, which then causes the sulfide group to break, and when it breaks, it causes a dehiscence or a um, morphological um, destruction of the integrity of the protein structure, so the protein is no longer the protein because, remember, proteins are it's, its amino acids that form peptides, that form polypeptides, that form proteins. These are long, long chains of amino acids, essentially, and then they're convoluted up into these balls of yarn-looking weird things and they're held together in that structure by these self groups, and that's what allows the protein to be a protein. If you denature that self group or you break that bond and you unravel that protein structure, it's no longer a protein structure. It's just a long a- sequence of amino acids because the morphological structure of the protein has not been destroyed. It's no longer functional as a protein. So when you go into the self groups and you have like a British analucide that goes into the protein structure, into this yarn-looking protein structure, deep into it, it binds the mercury, pulls that mercury off the self group, It causes a denaturing of the self hydro bond too, which causes that protein structure, that that uh, morphological structure to go, you know, kind of break. And another one breaks and breaks and breaks, and then finally just unravels. And one out of five people will die because of that that continuation of the breakdown. So it's basically causes denaturing of protein. Um, But you know, many of the chelators that are very effective. I mean, zeolite is zeolite is great to bind to stuff that you may be exposed to within the last 12 hours, 24 hours. I have not found it to be effective at pulling out metals out of a person. Remember, cilantro is a fantastic natural concentrator of mercury. People call it a healer. It's not a keeler. It is a concentrator. But here's the thing. When people take cilantro substances, you know, and they think that they get this false sense of security. I love cilantro in my food. But I'm not doing it to try to pull mercury out. Why? Because the natural environment that mercury, that the cilantro is found in the soil, it's finding mercury. Is everywhere. So it's finding that mercury it's concentrating it. So if you take cilantro supplements, and you get them analyzed, you'll see they're very, very high in mercury because they're a natural concentrator of mercury. So you're actually taking this mercury into your body, thinking that you're going to have something that's going to bind with mercury, but you're actually giving the body more mercury by taking the cilantro, and then through the process of diffusion and osmosis, it's going to be a high concentration to a low concentration. The mercury is going to dispel into the body, and you're going to actually get a net influx of mercury into the body. And zeolites in the same way. They're natural... um, Substances that are found in the environment that concentrate mercury, but now you get thinking oh well it can actually concentrate mercury So if I take it in my body, I'm gonna pull the mercury out wrong answer They're already concentrated with mercury unless the zeolites have been you know Unless the cilantro has been grown in a laboratory where it's hydroponically grown and there's no mercury in the environment So it's pure cilantro with absolutely no natural exposure to uh, heavy metals So it hasn't ever concentrated anything then if you take it into your body then there's theoretically possibility It's gonna bind to the mercury and pull it out but, again, it's a concentrate. It's not a chelator. A chelator, by definition, whatever goes in the body comes out the same way. It's inert. Cilantro has nutrient value, so it's going to break down. It's going to be certain components go a different way. So it's not a chelator by definition. It's a concentrator, which is different. All right? So I'll get off that bandwagon. But, you know, people talk about zeolites all the time. Guys, if zeolites was that great, then there would be no issue with autism. And I would be a very happy camper because I wouldn't have to worry about where we're going to get our next DMPS from to treat our children with because, you know, we're having a hard time getting DMPS, whatever the case may be. Um, so, yes, I'm asked this question probably once, uh, once every six months by somebody. But, you know, it's it just it's not what everybody thinks it is. And if, and if you think it is, then great. Use it and prove me wrong. And uh, that's great. I, I mean, I'm going to be happy. I'll be the second happiest person if zero lights work for you. So use it. And if you think it you know, works, that's fantastic. I just have not seen it work in the patients that come to us. And we've got patients from 91 countries now that with all different you know, nationalities, creeds, uh, ethnicities. So we've got a very, very varied uh, population, human population of all races and all creeds and of all ethnicities, trans- transversing the geographical boundaries. And so we just have not found it to be effective in any specific uh, group. I mean, it should be it should be universally effective and we have not found anything to be universally effective as effective as the key that have to be intravenously or transdermally applied. Yeah, hopefully that answers your question. Louise says, You love it. Uh, Louise, I think you're talking about the uh, the coaching call. I uh, appreciate that. Uh, Jay Leslie says, Are you currently in Mooresville? Uh, we have a clinic in Mooresville, yes. Heather says, UTI seems to be a problem in women. Is this a gut issue or metal? Uh, urinary tract infections are more, they're neither one of those two issues. Of course, if you, have a good, if you have a good gut balance and you don't have metals, so good gut is going to give you uh, better immunity and no metals is going to prevent you from being immunocompromised. So then, yes, theoretically, you're going to have a much beefier and stronger immune system, which will then make you less prone to a urinary tract infection. But gut issues and heavy metal issues do not affect the urinary tract directly and don't prevent urinary tract infections directly. But as I said, if you don't have any metals, that means your immune system is revving up higher. And if you have an optimum gut, that means your immune system is even that much better. And so if your immune system is really, really strong and beefed up, you're going to have a less chance of getting any type of infection. Not just urinary tract infections, but any type of of infection. Tori said, thank you so much. You're most welcome, Tori. Uh, Debbie said, what do you do for scalp fungus? Uh, again, Debbie, the, if a person has any type of fungus issue, like the tinea corpus, I mean, I, the first thing is people that get fungal infections, they're immunocompromised, okay? That's the third toxicity. In the seventh toxicity philosophy, that's the third toxicity. So when you're talking about the, the ringworm or you talk about scalp fungus, you talk about any other type of infection, watch the facts on toxicity videos. If you go into advancedmedicine.com, create your free account, on the left-hand side, under education, look at the tab, it says facts on toxicity. There's about nine videos there, all right? This is all free. Just go watch those videos. And in those videos, it talks about the seven toxicities. So seven toxicities is what allows the immune system to compromise the immune system. So the first toxicity, heavy metals, will suppress the immune system. The second toxicity, persistent organic gluten, that will suppress the, the immune system. So if you have a suppression of the immune system from the heavy metals and or the Persistent organic glucans, usually both of them together. Then the third toxicity, which is the opportunistics, that's where the parasites, the fungus, the the yeast, the bacteria, the viruses, the spirochetes, all that stuff comes into play. So if somebody has scalp fungus or they have, you know, tinea corpus or, you know, tinea pedis or foot, uh, the uh, jock itch, you know, which is tinea corpus, or you have, um, um, we call it the foot fungus, you know, the um, tinea pedis, or ringworm, or any of these other low, chronic, low-grade uh, fungal infections. That means your immune system is compromised, and it's usually compromised because of either one of the heavy metals, or two, the pers- persistent organic pollutants, or somebody who gets recurrent bronchitis, or recurrent ear infections, or recurrent pharyngitis, or whatever recurrent infections. That's all—all all those infections under the third toxicity, and I call those the opportunistics. So. The reason I call them opportunistics is the only way you can actually get any of these infections is if, if the uh, offending pathogen, in this case, let's say the scalp fungus, has an opportunity set up house. Why is uh, why are you having scalp fungus but your significant other doesn't have a problem with it and your kids don't have a problem with it or your neighbor doesn't or your friends? Well, it's because your immune system is susceptible. It's susceptible because of either heavy metals or persistent organic pollutants or maybe the fourth toxicity, the energetics or whatever else. You know, There's those seven toxicities are important to address because once you address those seven toxicities, your immune system comes back up online, and then many of these things like the opportunistic type of infections, bacteria, viruses, parasites, mycoplasma, yeast, fungus, et cetera, they will not be able to have the opportunity anymore to set up house because they they need an opportunity. Your system won't be susceptible to these opportunistics. So that's why I call the third category opportunistics. So your scalp fungus is an opportunistic infection. If you address your toxicity issue and you get your immune system back up to normal, you won't have to worry about that. And of course, you can do certain antifungals over-the-counter without steroids. You can get an antifungal over-the-counter as a scalp shampoo and use that. That's fine to give you some temporary relief. But until you address the toxicity issue and allow your immune system to come back online, you will have recurrent issues with this. Okay. All right, I think okay, there's only one more question. Best way to get rid of facial acne, uh, Karen said. Again, Karen, same thing. Best way, deal with the gut. Get the gut straight, and your acne will disappear. Um, there's, of course, only one caveat to that. That's people that are getting going through the adolescent, uh, the burst of hormones. That's just a normal phase that lasts a year, two years. But even that, if the gut's optimized and proper nutrition, you're not going to have to worry about Skin is a manifestation of your internal environment. So if you're in your tw- uh, you know mid-20s, late-20s, 30s, and you're having a problem with acne, it's a gut issue. Get your gut straight. And you know pimple here or there, that's not a big deal. But if you have a lot of acne, it's a gut issue. Get your gut straight. Get your liver straight. And you're not going to have to worry about that again. Acne, the skin, scalp fungus—you know, these are all opportunistic type things. Um, the acne is just a normal um, response to the skin getting infected. But again, if the gut's straight, your your skin's healthier, and you don't have to worry about that issue. I've had people with some really, really, really bad acne, like cystic acne, and we dealt with them by helping their gut get their gut balance, and it was able to resolve their issues. You know, thick Few months to get it done, but once they got it done, they didn't have the problems anymore with their, with their cystic acne. All right, guys, I will say uh, good night to everyone. Okay, is rosacea related to gut issues? Yes, rosacea also has a component of uh, the gastrointestinal system. Anything to do with the skin, that's the first place I start. Hormones and skin, I start with the gut. Get the gut straight, and you know, we've got a very, very elaborate gut detoxification formula. There are many companies that have many different things. Ours is based upon, we have so many different protocols, but it's all, depa- it's all depends on how the head map uh, scores come in, based upon how you answer it. And that tells me which gut formula to put you on or which combination of gut formula to put you in to get the optimum result. So that's why the head map is so important for, for my purposes. Okay? And Louise and uh, Tiffany, who went through the detailed map to get ahead consultation, when you we went through the map to get ahead, you guys saw how much information is actually contained in it. People don't realize all that information, that one-page report, but it's a tremendous amount of information. All right, guys, so have a great night. Um, until next week, I will see you next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern, and we will be doing our live broadcast then. Until then, I hope you all have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. And for the IADFW members, give me about 10 minutes. I'm just going to get something to drink, take a bathroom break, and then I will be back on the IADFW live broadcast. All right? Very excited for the IADFW tonight. Got a lot of things to cover. All right, guys, have a great night. Thank you. Good night.
1: Thank you for tuning in with us today. For more information and links on other valuable resources, please visit advancedmedicine.com and medicalrewind.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The How Report, and join Dr. Rashid Buttar for his Facebook live broadcast every Monday evening, and for hundreds of hours of advanced medicine podcasts, which are broadcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and are available in the podcast section of MedicalRewind.com. You can find Dr. Buttar on Facebook by searching for Dr. Rashid A. Buttar, and on Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram by using dr Buttar. Don't forget to head over to advancedmedicine.com and register for your free account. Gain access to the HeadMap assessment and many other free resources available at advancedmedicine.com. Use Dr. Batar's invitation code 11 and join today. Thank you for your support and for being a part of making the change the world is waiting for.